You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back. Today on the show, we are joined by former NFL player for the Buccaneers, the Redskins, the Steelers, an American ninja warrior, international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and he's an identity coach. We are joined today by Anthony Trucks. I said a while back, guys, that... I said big things are happening. Big things are happening around you. Big changes, big name guests. And I'm sorry I go on about this, but this show is our baby. And, you know, just to think that we've gone from recording on the Voice Note app for iPhone in a a car park to interviewing NFL players like we did for this episode today as well as building this incredible community of people that don't sit around and wait, procrastinate, they take action. Couldn't be any damn prouder of that. Just stay tuned for what's to come. But I digress. The title of Anthony's book is A Life Forged by Fire. Please tell my children who their father was was the text message that Anthony had sent out at 28 to his loved ones as he drove around searching for rat poison to take his own life. Throughout Anthony's life, he has experienced what he defines as 20 life-shattering identity shifts that have taken him from being handed into foster care at three, beaten and abused as a child, not finding his biological father until he was 21, discovering his wife had had an affair, getting divorced, having his playing career in the NFL cut short, starting a business which we know brings a whole host of different challenges. It is safe to say that this man has endured trauma. One of the fascinating things which I find incredible about Anthony is he's endured so much but yet he's always made it through the other side. And then this brings the question, and if you're like me, you'll be asking, then why? And also how? How does one make it through all of that and then prosper like he has? I imagine just one of those things would, one of those pieces of trauma would send other people to the precipice. Well, we dug into it today. And all will be revealed in today's episode. (laughs) This was a real wide-ranging conversation from relationships to the benefit of coaches to recovering from that trauma, as we mentioned, how to deal with it, how to like yourself more. Really was a great conversation. So without any further ado, Anthony Trucks, welcome to the Freedom Pact. 
Thanks, man. I'm happy to be talking to some guys from Wales. Look at that, man. The world the world gets smaller as the internet gets bigger. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So Lewis and I, we have been very, very excited to speak with you. We've been very excited to connect. So one of the reasons which we wanted to reach out to you is throughout your life, you've spent a lot of time around coaches. You've had a lot of coaches throughout your playing days and whatnot. So let's talk about one man in particular. Let's talk about Don Pelham. Mm, I think he's look the at coach you doing now. your research. <laughs> UCLA now. UCLA, yeah. man. So uh-huh. I heard that you talk about this guy's methods. They were yeah. so brutal that you built up such a high pain tolerance because of yep. the four or so years you spent with this guy. So yeah. just in a few words, I mean, what impact did Don have on your life? Man, DP. We so we call him Don Pelham, call him DP or uh Don Pizzle, the Don Papa, man. He was uh he was a hard nosed guy. And, and at the end of the day, you got those guys that they're supposed to be hard on you. And the impact he left on me was heavily based in the in the uh the fact that there were gonna be zero shortcuts in your life. And the moment that you leaned in and accepted that, life got easier. He'd make it harder, but it kept being hard if you didn't lean in and accept when you accepted it. It got easy for things to be hard. But here's the unique thing. The things that were hard were the things that made life better. They moved the needle. And so the experience with him um, at the time, and I I hated it. I hated knowing he was in town. I've told him this, by the way. We've hung out since. I told him this, by the way, man. Like, hey, I didn't didn't like you back then. Um, But now, in hindsight, when I approach life and I see situations that everybody else is faltering on, they fall short of, or they, they stumble... For me, it's like it's normal. It's it's easy to overcome these things or just to push into them, and that's because of how he guided me in the time. What was it specifically about having a coach that allowed you to level up, and how did it impact other areas of of your life later on, perhaps business relationships? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, a coach is unique in this sense. So let's say someone didn't play sports. Say someone's listening, like you know, what? I didn't play any sports. I don't get this whole coach thing. There's a lot of times when I try to explain to people, I was an NFL athlete, professional football, highest level in the world. I had a coach. There's a reason you have a coach. Yes, when I'm in the game, I could be the fastest, smartest, you know, most dialed in player, but I can only see what's right here in front of me. I can't see to the left. I can't see the rest of the team. I can't see the whole field or the whole pitch, we'll call it. But the coach is on the sideline or he's up in the box with a bird's eye view watching everything going on. And so what was unique for me conceptually to take from sports and apply to my post-football career was I need a coach. I, always, I have a coach now. I'm a coach, but I'm a guy that believes in having a coach because it doesn't make sense to say, do this, but I don't have this, right? It's weird. And so what I realize is you absolutely have to have someone that can see the whole field. Because the thing about it, my coach couldn't run like I could run. He couldn't lift like I could lift. He couldn't do what I could do. And most people think, well, why is that person teach you and coach? Well, because they see what I can't see. And they nudge me to do things that I don't feel comfortable doing. They take me out of my comfort zone. They, they, they press me to be best because they'll call on me to do things that I won't call on myself to do in the moment. And that's why I think the coach is big because just like in sports, when I applied it to post sports or my businesses now, that's, that's a lot of the things that my coaches do. Like I know what I'm capable of and a lot of the things I can do my coaches could never do. But – they call on me because they can see where I can go. They can see the rest of the industry. They can see things I'm doing the when I'm head down, not paying attention to the rest of it. And it gives me the perspective of like, oh, I got to go over there and do more there. Or I'm not going as fast as I can. I'm having a slumpy day, right? 
So a coach is paramount to success. Without them, whether sports or life, you will either, one, never reach your destination because some of those guys and girls are the, the key to doing it. They are literally the, 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 the step to get to the next step. Or you're going to do it slow. It's going to take forever to get there. I don't care how self-made you are, how much you drive. Like you got to have somebody driving you farther because if you can drive yourself to a certain level quietly in your head unless you're a freak individual – You'll never pull yourself past the point that you think is your top. You need someone else to see you and say, nah, 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 there's more, and they help you level up. So what kind of things was it that DP, Don Pelham, was doing that was making you think, man, you know, I hate this guy, you know, at the time? What was he doing? Things that didn't make sense. So, like, for example, we're taking it back to college days, you know, university. And so what ends up happening is you have uh, us as a football team. He's my football coach. We would have to have, for example, academic times. Hey, grades got to be in by Thursday or Friday for everybody. Well, DP would be like, no, they got to be in by Tuesday for you guys. You guys get one day to talk to your teachers, maybe Tuesday if it's a class. I don't want it in. So you're running around like a madman trying to get this stuff done. Or he's like, hey, we have meetings that are going to take place before a game. Meetings start at 2. Well, we're linebackers. We get in at 12.30 or 12 o'clock. We eat lunch here because once it gets to the game week, it's our, it's our time. So you're going to get here an hour and a half before the rest of the guys get here. So I don't care what you had planned, like get in here early. So you're there an hour and a half before everybody else. If you had to be dressed a certain way, we all to be dressed even better than everybody else had to be dressed. Like off-season stuff, if it said we got a, you know, no film, like we just had to go and practice so we can go home. He's like, no, 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 you want to be great? Like, you know, being, it's not mandatory. But it's also not mandatory that I let you play on Saturdays, right? So you got to get in there and watch some more film. So he always called for you to do more. And the big thing was it takes a little more to be a champion. When you feel like you've done enough, you got to do a little more. And it doesn't, doesn't become stressful until you've done as much as you want to do. And that little more becomes like pulling teeth out of your mouth. And you just do it. And then you realize like the more you do it, the more it becomes normal to do that. And the more normalcy I find in that space that moves the needle the more success becomes natural and normal to you just doing those things becomes like oh that's what i do so when everybody else is struggling because they're not used to having to operate that level that level is what i naturally run at just in my own life i've had business lecturers and coaches in different sports and as you said it's quite paradoxical because usually the best ones often as you describe they're thinking man i hate this guy or you know i i can't stand it but then you look back and you think, but you know what, I am making a lot of progress. So mm-hmm. I suppose my question to you on this would be, as a guy that, as you said, has played at the elite level of, of sports at the pinnacle, what would you say would be the difference between the the DPs, the Dom Pelms, you know, the great coaches, and mm-hmm. the ones which didn't really motivate you? What would you say would be the difference between the guys that moved the needle for you and the guys which you didn't make much progress under? Follow through. I think it's the same for for parenting, relationships. It's follow through. It's like if somebody gives you um, a a demand or something like a a task or project to complete and you don't do it and you know there's going to be a consequence, if they don't follow through with the consequence, you won't follow through with the action later on. So like whenever, like for parents, it's it's parenting, right? Any kind of coach, same parenting. If I tell my kid, hey, if you do that, you're going to get in trouble and I'm going to do X to you. You get no video games for the whole entire day of Saturday. Make something up, right? Well, if they do that thing and I'm lenient enough to give them, well, you just not half today. Well, they're going to do that thing again because they realize that dad doesn't hold to his word. So in the future, they're not going to hold themselves to the standard that is set. So as a coach, 
he was really big on following through sometimes more than necessary. And if you're a parent, like, you know how much that drains you. Like, your kid does something, you're like, I really do not feel like punishing you right now. I want to go to sleep. I want to watch this show. Now I got to get up and I got to talk to you and I got to do this thing. And it takes energy. I don't feel like giving. And when, when that takes place, no one's held to a standard. Therefore, nobody tries to meet that standard. And so what he did, which was big, was if something was going to be like if he said he was going to do it, he never wavered. Four years of me being there, not once did he give. There was no ground back. He, he never wavered. So by you get to the back end, you start realizing like some people can handle him. Some people can't. And the ones that couldn't handle him were the ones that couldn't hold themselves to the standard he set. It wasn't, it wasn't awkward. It wasn't a bad standard. It was just above the level of what everybody settled for, which you, if you do what everybody settles for, you get what everybody else has. And he wanted us to have more. We wanted more. And so in doing so, he followed through to where we held the standard he set. And that standard is what created the man you see here in a lot of ways. Do you think that we could take that principle that you just described there of having those high expectations, those positive projections, but also that stern boundaries? Do you think we could apply those to any other areas? Every other area, man. It's every area. Because you can, you can say, let's talk about two different individuals, two bodies, two people, two entities, right? So one person's holding the standard for the other person, right? So it's my coach and me or um, father, son, right? Or colleague to colleague, boss to, to employee, whatever it is. If I make you operate that standard and you realize that standard's not something stupid, it has a weight and I can keep it at that level, great, right? So you, you realize the standard set, hold myself to that standard, therefore I'm going to meet that. So I'm going to actually achieve the goals I want. That's really the big difference. When you take it and you take it from being two entities and you bring it to one centerpiece, which is you, your identity and who you are, if you set a standard for yourself and you hold yourself to it, You'll keep at a high level. You'll keep climbing. It's the individuals who set a standard for themselves, and they don't meet it, and they don't take the consequence. Like they don't, they don't even like let it set into their heart, or they still do that thing. Like if I tell myself, "Hey, I'm going to buy that car um, when I make X amount of dollars," and if you go buy the car before that, well, something might go wrong. Like there's a reason you set that, but if you don't hold that standard, what ends up happening is in the future when something else needs to be held, like I'm going to go and buy the house when I have X amount of dollars, and you do it beforehand you might mess up your finances. You might go broke and go bankrupt because you can't afford the house, right? So it's a matter of like, if you have this internal, they're like, go get the workout or the food. Like, I'm going to hold myself to, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat um, you know, a bonbon, another piece of ice cream or touch sugar till I lose this 10 pounds. Well, if you do it beforehand and you have this sugar, it's like, it's 10 pounds, it's okay. Like I did it at eight pounds, but I'm going to have my, my Snickers bar. And you have the candy bar, but it's like, it's easier in the future to let yourself down again. And that becomes a slippery slope. And little by little, you lose that sense of like self and pride. And then you start like not showing up for yourself. When you stop showing up for yourself every single day, you stop executing on the things that make the needle move and make you make money or make impact or make income, whatever it is. You don't get those because what ends up happening is you don't have enough of the chip on your shoulder to show up for the person who needs to do the work to achieve the thing you want to achieve. You fall short. And if you fall short, you're actually falling short of potential. When you fall short of potential, you fall short of success that you can have in your life. And that's where a lot of people stand is they let themselves not be held accountable to themselves. They don't have pride for themselves. They don't have like appreciation or respect for themselves. And they may not even consciously know this, but what ends up happening is you stop showing up for that person. Like I think about it, if you guys, you got Joe and Lewis, if one of you guys, um, like you, I'm, sure, I'm assuming you respect each other, care about each other, have a love for each other. If, one, if you didn't like the person and you didn't like respect him or care, love, you wouldn't show up for this with the person. 
You wouldn't even show up in your relationship if you didn't respect that person. And so what happens is you show up for the people you love. You'll go out of your way to like to show up. I'll put my I'll kill myself for my kids. Right. I love them. But if you look at internally as a human being who we are, if we fall short of something, we lose respect, lose pride, lose that character. We don't want to we don't respect ourselves as much or love ourselves as much. Therefore, it's easier to not show up for ourselves after a while. Let ourselves go, man. We just sink away and we don't care about we're, you know, we do a lot of, you know, I call it like self-deprecating acts and um, we just self-sabotage and it becomes just like, you know, just a, a lot of negative things we do to ourselves. And when you become that human, like it's hard to climb out of that hole. I love how we're starting to, to branch into other areas of life now. And, and it begs the question, after learning the importance of, of coaches through through DP and, and once you realize that, did you find yourself looking towards mentors in other areas of your life? And do any stick out in your mind as, you know, being pivotal to where you are now? Um, yeah, I mean, in different areas. I think there's different mentors for different needs of life. I don't think that I want to live anybody's one life specifically, but I might appreciate traits of their life. Whether it's you know my pastor and how the how he lives with faith, or um, you know men that I see that have great families wanting to mimic their great families, people who have great health. But I don't think a mentor is someone you always have to have to have immediate access to, right? It could be someone that you you watch who they are. Nowadays with social media, you can watch anybody who's willing to put their life out there, and you can watch kind of what they do and how they operate, and you can feel through that who you want to be like. And if you can mimic some of the actions, you'll get that same kind of pride and be more of like that individual in that space of how you feel. So, yeah, I mean, mentor-wise, when I got done with football, I mean, I went in and I had business mentors that, that taught me things that I didn't know at the moment but needed to learn the hard way. And I've had great mentors in business. I've had great mentors in relationship and faith um, as a parent. And it's it's something where I think uh, if you if you try to operate off your own what's right and what's wrong, your own decision based based on what you think's right and wrong or should be done right now, you never stretch yourself to be able to be more because you're just going to reach the level of what you already know or already accept for your life. And the, what you know and what you accept, it actually creates your current identity. And your current identity is what got you exactly where you're at. And if you don't love, love where you're at, then you're going to be stuck there, not loving it, if you don't stretch. So the way I look at it is like if I want to create this next tier of my life that I desire and I enjoy and I ambitiously think about and I salivate over, it's only going to come when I, I do the painful work of stretching and shifting myself to what's needed of me to have what that level of Anthony has. I can't be who I am and try to do those things to get what I want. I need to be the person that just naturally does those things and that person has what I want. I suppose that ties back in nicely to the follow through, which you said about mm -hmm. DP. And in mm -hmm. my own life, I, you know, I've thought about losing respect for others, but I could make a case that the even worse than that is when I've lost respect for myself by mm -hmm. not doing what I'm going to say or breaking promises to myself. Would mm -hmm. you say that, that, losing respect for yourself is worse than losing respect for others oh yeah i mean that, that's obviously a, a rhetorical question right <laughs> it's one of those ones where yeah it is because if you can't respect yourself you won't respect other people i think when i see individuals who are um you know to be honest like criminals and they're out doing horrible stuff it's like a very um it's a very sad sight to see because you don't respect or have enough pride for yourself to be a good human therefore if you don't have love for yourself why would you care about anybody else's feelings and what you do to them and and I think that's not only is it bad for your goals to be a success, but it's bad for the world 
because that's where I think we fall into. People who do heinous acts to other people, they do it because they don't care about other people. And typically it stems from not having a care for a person, which starts with the person you're closest to and spend all your days with, which is you. And so, yeah, I think that's a, a big, big uh, problem we have with society for a lot of people who just are falling short of what they really can stretch out to do in life solely because they don't even realize it internally. They just don't like themselves very much. And a way to guess this and gauge this, when you have time alone, what do you do? Like with me, when I have time alone, I will gladly be the weird guy sitting at a coffee shop looking like a maniac with my arms crossed or my, my legs crossed, just staring off into the distance. The weirdo. Because I have no problem being in my own head because I love this guy. I show up for this guy. I have pride and character and, and I have this sense of like care for this guy. Whereas other people, they'll spend time distracted or, you know, seeking out things. They don't feel their heart. I got to buy the next car, next belt, next shirt and clothes and, you know, next electronic. And look how cool I am. Look at my shoes and all that stuff that tries to get you that outside care and love when, when you don't even have it for yourself. You're trying to get it from the world in a very, um, very intangible way in a lot of places and intangible for materials. And so... Yeah, man, if you don't if you don't find a way to be good inside, if you can't be silent, if you have to go drink and go party and do all those kind of things to feel good about yourself, that's a very big gauge. It should be a, a red light saying, look, hey, you can get, get better with yourself internally and find out what are the things you don't love about yourself and find out how to navigate those to get to a point of loving yourself again. And it's not like woo-woo. Like, some people are like, oh, it's super spiritual. Like, it's not even a spiritual thing. Like, it's, damn it, do you like me? Do I like me? Like, if I don't like me, I'm going to have problems bringing this person in the world and having the rest of the world like this person. I'm just wondering in terms of what you just said, but there in terms of, you know, the learning to love yourself and build that identity. Is there a mm -hmm. process which you have for following that? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but I actually do have a process. So there's so the way that I work as a human being and, and the work that I do is my job is to help people figure out what their identity gaps are. So what I'm talking about now, like the gap between who I am and who I want to be that has what I have, that's called an identity gap. There's some part of who you are that's not just, it's not flowing at the right tick right now. It's not, it's not moving at the right speed. That's why you keep falling short. And no matter what tool you buy or technique you try or strategy you get, you'll always fall short because you won't be the person to fully utilize that at its full capabilities. And so what I do is I step in, I try to teach people how to make success become their second nature. Whatever that level of success is for you, how do you become the individual that does things that makes that just second nature, just happens? And the process is a three-step process called C-Shift-Sustain. So my goal is to help you make an identity shift, to close your identity gaps. I shift the part of me that, that anchors at that point. And the first stage is really simple. It's like, it's not really simple. It is simple when I explain it, but it's hard to do. The first part is the C part. Like, I got to see a couple things. The first part you got to see... Like, what in the world, like, where am I at? Like, truly self-awareness, where are you? That you don't even know you are, but the rest of the world knows you are. Like, where truly are you? Then how'd you get there? Like, what you actually do? Like, what were the things that you don't want to admit or accept? Um, because it makes you feel like maybe you, you beat yourself up more. But like, what are the things that got you there? Then what must you do to get out of there? Like, literally, like, what are the things you got to do to get out of there? That's the part of seeing, like, accept that there's a crappy part of your life that you were responsible for, maybe even at fault for, but it got to do the work to get it done. Because if not, we get to this point of feeling very helpless because we can't do anything to change it. So no matter what I do, I'm always going to end up back in the same place. And so when you have that feeling, because you don't take ownership for anything, you don't work very hard. But when you take ownership for something, like I ruined my, my marriage in the beginning, and I had to accept the fact that I was part of that. It took a lot of time, but I got my power back. It came with pain, 
but now I could accept it, work on it, and then the next piece is once I know what's holding me back and why I've been stuck and I can figure out how to kind of unhitch the trailer and get moving, the next step is, well, you got to see where you can go. Like, that's the next stage, seeing, and it's, I call it dreaming at full speed. If you think about it, a lot of people, uh, we get to dreaming about these exciting ideas you might have. You get like that, that nice, like that, like hearts racing, like excitement, like, huh, kind of like driving down like a desert freeway with a straight road and a brand new Ferrari, foot to the floor, just, wow, wind's blowing, like, oh, I feel great, right? Well, imagine if all of a sudden you, someone threw a speed bump out there, like you have to slow down or you might hit it and go crazy or they put a wall, you got to stop and go around the wall. So in life, we have these dreams that, that make the same kind of heart palpitating, like excitement, but then we put a speed bump in. We say, well, I don't have any money. I don't have any time. What if I fail? Nobody loves me. I'm not smart enough for that. I'll never be that. We put these speed bumps in the way of the dream, and then we never reach the next level. So what we do is we kill the dream before it actually picks up speed. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people, they get out of the car, turn the keys off, and they just walk back down the road like, ah, I'm never going to do that. And it sucks. And so when a C phase comes in, that's the first piece. And then you go to the part where it's actually the work that gets done, which is really big in actually making the shift, becoming the person who does the things that need to be done easy that end up moving the needle for your life. And so that's three stages. It's kind of four, but it's three that are main. I must design what I call my ideal identity. Who am I going to be? Like what are the, what are the traits, what are the identity anchors of the human being that I need to be every day to be able to create the life I want to create? Once I know these ideal identity anchors, I go to the next part. Is I want to develop a plan to ingrain these over time. I want to develop this process, develop this plan that I know if I take these actions, over time I'll get the investment bias of I've done this enough to where I feel great that this is who I am. Look at it kind of like this statement that I say. It's what you create creates you. When you created this podcast in the beginning, I'm sure you weren't like very, very confident, but you created more episodes, created more you know, taglines, put more stuff out there, created more emails to get more guests on, reached out like this. And after a while, you'll come back and you probably do now like, yeah, I'm a podcaster. That's what I do. You created this confidence inside because of the podcast you created. And a lot of us don't realize that you're going to start that way. You're going to start with no confidence, but you create that thing. And as you create it, it creates the person who has that. And so you got to look at what are the actions that you have to do to create that human. The next stage after I've designed it and developed it is to deploy this person into the world. Start doing things. Deploy it. Put it out there nonstop. And then here's what happens. You usually deploy it and something goes wrong. Think of like actually sending people out to, to battle. They deploy, the unit goes out, and then some, somebody, they lose somebody or something goes wrong or something goes right, and they come back, they debrief. Hey, this took place, this took place. Hey, guys, tell the next you know, platoon going out there, take a, take a look over here because on that side of the ridge there's some guys up on the ridge shooting down, watch out for the snipers. We, we can figure things out. Then we can go back, redesign, redevelop, redeploy a new team out there to do better work. Same thing in our life. What usually happens is we'll design, we'll develop, we'll deploy, we'll fall on our face, we'll say, oh, I don't want to feel that pain again. I'm going to find something new to do. Let me redirect completely. Like, ah, this sucks. I don't want to feel that again. And then maybe you revisit it six months later, but you forget everything that was, that was making the difference. You do the same thing. Whereas if you were to come back and say, look, I don't feel like doing this again. My heart doesn't want to do this again, but everything's fresh in my head of what needs to be done. Let me go back right now and redesign what should be done. What do I got to adjust about myself? What do I got to try? Let me redevelop the plan of action what I'm going to do deploy it again. And the more you do it, the better you get. The skill gets built. The investment gets built. And after a while, you get this investment of time. The bias comes back of what you've created in this process. It's created this person that's got this ah, chip. 
and now it's who you are and you've shifted and that's that's the process to get towards like now it's who I am and then the last part of it is how do I sustain sustainability is big when you get success and then it, you slide back down the hill it sucks I've been there and the goal is to say, how do I go in and take all the success I have and sustain not only the place I'm at, but consistently, consistently leveling up? What are the actions I must sustain to keep going? Because if you do the things that got you here and stop doing those things, you'll fall back down. So I look at what's called drive, hive, and thrive. Driving is really big. on like, you got to know where you're going at all times. The worst thing you can do is fight to climb this ladder up a building, get to the top of the ladder, and realize the ladder's leaned against the wrong building. Because you wasted your energy. So what I'm big on doing is saying when I'm driving this vehicle of my life and I've got to this level here, consistently checking in, do I like this? Am I driving in the right direction? Is this car going where it's supposed to go? Is this life going and being driven the way it's supposed to be? Um, it's a check-in process, right? Then you have this hive. And the hive for me, if you think about like life could be sweet. They say life is sweet, right? I want to know like what's sweet. I look at sweet kind of like honey. Like and I think about what creates honey, it's a hive, beehive. Everybody has their own little job in, in the system to create this sweetness. And for me, I look at your life as sweetness. And in that, what's the hive? Like, what's the, the hive you have around you to create that sweetness? Do you have a coach? Are you in a great relationship? Are you being a great parent because maybe you have kids? Um, do you have a great therapist, a great personal trainer? Do you have great colleagues, great employees? Do you have a great boss? What's the hive around you, mentors, people that, that guide you? Because when you have that hive, you can create this amazing thing which allows you to thrive. And thriving for me is like above and beyond doing great. Once you're at a certain peak, you'll find that the, the next level of what makes you happy is not getting more of what you already have, but helping somebody else get what you have, whether it's joy or peace or money or a better business, whatever it is. And then for me, it's like looking at am I thriving in, in joy? And then next question is, what do I have to do to create that next level of what gives me joy? Like what's the next level I want to thrive at? And it actually becomes a circle. Because now when you're at this level you're at here and you want to thrive at a higher level, you have to start again by seeing what's holding me back from that level, seeing what opportunities are there. See what I'm saying? It's a, it's a wheel. It's a consistent life process. So that's what I call my shift schematic to help people make the identity shift to close their gaps and make shift happen. That's my, that's my world of what I do, man. We like to think that we are a podcast deeply rooted in action taken. We want someone to listen to the podcast and have something they can use that day. My question is, if someone listened to this right now, I'm sure they're insanely inspired after that. They're going to want to get started on that straight away. What is the very first, very first thing they have to do just to kickstart the process? Yeah, so the very first part is, uh, it's, it's so the first part of C actually has three levels. It's called accept dissect discover the first thing you have to do like aa or any program is accept that you got something you got to work on that's really what it boils down to is like a lot of people they'll tell themselves no i just got to try that thing that i've been trying to try i know what i got to do i just haven't done it yet nope no you haven't lies all lies like <laughs> it, that's just not the truth as much as you want to accept it like there's a reason you're not doing it that's what you got to focus on. We just, however, don't like to accept that something's really wrong with us or do it publicly of all places. And so for me, like the first step, you who's listening right now, you got to sit down and get real deep and accept the fact that you are not where you want to be because you haven't done the thing you got to do. Not the action, but the thing that will release you to do the action or inspire you and motivate you to do the thing you keep telling yourself you have to do. And at the end of the day, if you can finally accept what that is, and it might be that you're in a relationship with a person who supports you, and you don't want to go in and do this thing because it might make them feel small, or admit that you're just lazy. 
It's okay. Like lazy isn't some. It's, it's like like a death sentence. Stop being lazy, you know. Or maybe just you're not smart enough for it. Cool, go learn. Like you just everything's at your fingertips nowadays. So accept the true reason why you're not there. And when you can finally accept that, and part of that, I tell you what, a little exercise you can do. Um, this is part of the programs I put together. I have individuals when they start with me, they do this thing called triad talks. And what they do is you find three people, two people who you know like you, good relationship, and you ask them, hey. Uh, there's like a set of questions that I actually put out from the ask, but the base of it is like, Hey, where am I falling short? Where can I be better? Like that's kind of the base of it. There's specific things we do. There's 10 areas we uncover usually. Um, and then you just one, this is the one that people hate, but damn it. It's so amazing when you do it right. The third one is you find a person who, you know, doesn't like you very much, who you guys are at odds relationships, a little on the rocks. And you ask them the same question, where am I falling short? Where can I be better? And damn it, if that person's not going to give you gold, they're going to give you everything you need to know to figure out exactly where you got to accept some stuff. And, they'll, and the thing is, your job is to do it and say, look, my job is to talk to you about this. I'm not allowed to give you a justification. I'm not allowed to argue. I am only allowed to nod my head and listen. That's what my coach is making me do. And you just sit there and just let it all pour in. And it's going to make you just so uncomfortable. But here's two things that come out of that that are some of the best things um, out of this. And because people wouldn't get this. One is you get a chance to see all the areas where you potentially could work on something. That you need to accept that thing that's really been stopping you. People will tell it to you. I promise it's right there in front of you. It's one question away. The second thing is that relationship that's on the rocks. I've seen it just two days ago. One of my coaching clients who hasn't talked to his brother in two years now had a reason to talk to him and this did this exact exercise. I'm getting chills thinking about what the conversation was. He's like, you know, I, I talked to my brother and I found out that there's things that he's been holding on to for 20 years I never knew about. And I now feel like there's an opportunity to actually mend that relationship. I love him, but we just were been at odds for so long and they couldn't communicate. Now one of them just had a chance to voice himself while the other one got a chance to finally listen. And it can, it's mending that relationship. Like, holy crap, that felt awesome to, see, to hear that from him, you know? And I think that's the beauty is you get a chance to have someone who you're probably at odds with simply because someone's just misunderstood or they feel like someone's not listening. And now when you listen and they get it off their chest, then, then here's the thing is whenever you go to talk back later, they're going to feel like you're going to talk from a place of finally understanding them. Now it's not an argument you're trying to rebut. It's a conversation. Because usually the things they say, you if you sit back with it, you're like, yeah, yeah, that sucks. I can feel why you would think that. And now you have a conversation and you start to mend the relationship. And in fact, some of those relationships become the best you ever had because it's trial by fire with a lot of great relationships. The best relationships have went through fire to harden them. And when you come out of that kind of conversation, it's the fire that hardens them. This is a nice caveat to take the conversation into relationships. A few things which I've got noted down by you is, you mentioned earlier that you sort of ruined the part of your first marriage. You just mentioned relationships, but there. Another thing which I found interesting was I was listening to you on another podcast, and they asked you to recommend a book, and you mentioned the book, His Needs, Her Needs. So, yeah. So... Let me just pose a question to you, and let's say something like, of all the things which you've gone through now in your life, to the place where you are now, I mean, obviously, we will we will guarantee your story in a little while, but I think this is such a good place to take you. So, of all the things which you've gone through, all the lessons which you've learned, if you could go back, and let's say you could advise your 14, 16, 18-year-old self, whatever, with, say... Mm-hmm. 
maybe two to three pieces or maybe the most impactful lesson which you've learned specifically Mm -hmm. about romantic relationships man i can see you smiling but (laughs) what would you say Oh man, there's a lot. There's a lot you learn about romantic. We're gonna so romantic. I don't. I'm not gonna look at it as romance, but I'm. I'm gonna look at it as the romantic relationship, the one, the one that's, um, in your life. And this is the one that is not even my point, but it's one that same from Stephen Covey. Um, it's seek first to understand, then be understood, right? So we all all have needs, and we are trying all day to meet our needs, and so all we focus on is our needs. And what we don't try to, to understand, right, is that, that somebody else has to feel understood to give us what we need to meet our needs. So romantically, you're going to get in a relationship. You want that person to do something for you and, and be that, whatever it is. But you have to give to get. And so when I'm saying seek first to understand, I have to understand what this person really wants from me. And when I understand what they want from me, I can then give it to them. And when I give it to them, because of the desire for reciprocity, people will seek to understand me like i'll be more understood by that human being which will give me what i want so as opposed to trying to pull like and and draw someone to force them to give you what you want give them everything that they want and they'll desire to give you what you want and guess what you do you now desire to give it to them and romantically it's incredible there's certain things that i don't like to do for my wife but i know she loves that i do them but she knows what i want her to do and she'll do it for me when she feels like she wants to do it for me. And then I love it because it's what she wants to do. And it only happens because the wheel spins the right way. I give her things that I don't feel like giving, and she gives me things that I don't feel like giving. But I know that by giving the things I don't feel like giving, I get the thing I want that feels way better than, than what I had to give, if this makes sense. It's kind of a vicious, positive cycle. What's happening in a lot of relationships is someone saying, well, you're not doing this. And so you're because you're not doing it, I'm not going to do that thing for you. Well, if you don't do that, then I'm not going to do that. Fine, then I'm not going to do that. And this is negative. I'm not getting what I want. You're not getting what you want. Why are we even together? What are, we, what are we even doing here? And so what you have to do is be the person that against your desire to, against your, your actions that don't feel love in this moment, you do it. Because love is, is a verb that creates the emotion. Actions create emotions. And even if the person doesn't give something to me, I actually get the feeling of love. Like think about kids. Like when my kid was born, like all they do is poop and cry and eat and they poop and cry and eat and sleep and that's all they do all day. But I'm, I'm with them all day, but I love them. Why do you love this thing that, that is killing your, your soul right now? Like it's, you get no sleep, you get like, it's because you're giving love, you're giving energy and the feeling return is like, oh, love. And so in a relationship, you have to give it the same kind of way and then you'll get the feeling yourself from giving it, but then it'll be tenfold when they give it back to you, and then because they give it back, it fills your cup. And when your cup overflows, because there's just too much in there, you pour it back to that person. They say, oh, I can't handle this. You get it. Oh, and then you're like giving people food. And you're the weird, cute couple in public, and it's super weird. <laughs> like, you can have that. That's why it's like that. Because right now, I got all this juice and flowing. And when we get older, we lose sight of that. We start to get frustrated and we get tired and get lazy because the person stops giving. So I stop giving because I stop giving, they stop giving, and that's the negative cycle. So seek first to understand what their needs are, then you'll be understood. I've definitely been guilty of, you know, of that in my own life. So what do you think uh, maybe some of the biggest mistakes that people are potentially making in relationships or that maybe even you have made? Yeah, you um, 
I've done this. I guess the best way to say it is you hold yourself worth too low. It's the worst thing you can do for your relationship. I, and let me unpack this for you because I realize that probably doesn't make any kind of sense. <laughs> so in, in a relationship, the partner that you choose is a barometer for how you hold your self-worth. You're not going to see an A-list celebrity out in public with a homeless person. It's just too far below where they see themselves to be. You're not good enough for me, right? And it's not that it's a good enough thing, but it's like you're not at the caliber of a human being that I want to connect my life to. And so what ends up happening is if your current self-esteem is too low, you'll get with a person that you believe is at the level you should be. And here's where it becomes bad because this person is at a level that they're not really at your caliber where you truly are sometimes. And now what happens is you're trying to serve this person who really – they don't really care because they don't. They don't. They th- they think that you're out of their league. They're just waiting for it to go wrong, and just just like, well, it's a ticking time bomb for them, so they don't even lean back in. And so the worst thing for a relationship is is being with a person who makes your life too easy, and in a situation where if you really look at it, they're they're not at the caliber of where not only you are now or where it is you desire to go. And, and I think that becomes a big headache for a lot of uh, a lot of people. In uh, in the areas, it really just boils down to just people choose the wrong partners, and because they choose the wrong partners, you're you're fighting against a wall the entire time. Uh, if you really want me to give you a, one that I honestly believe becomes detrimental to a lot of relationships, it's just communication. As much as people hear that, you know, they talk about the his needs, her needs, and you know, five love languages. I think it's communication. I think too many people cannot voice their opinion in a relationship, good or bad, sometimes. And because of that, they get to these these um, areas in their life where they're very resentful to the person. Like nobody's a mind reader. Like you you would assume somebody should know something, but a lot of times we just don't know it. I I love my wife to death. Would do anything for. Her. I'm not a mind reader. There are things that I do that if she doesn't tell me, I'll continue to do them. And then what happens? She builds resentment, and she gets angry at that thing. And every other little thing in the in the in the area, and I'm like, why are you mad about this? And then it's like, because, uh, and boom, it gets to the center point that I'm like, whoa, I had no idea. She's like, well, how could you not? Like, because you didn't tell me. <laughs> and if you didn't tell me, how is it my fault? Like, now I'll, I'll take, I'll I'll try to do it, but I'm not going to say I should have known because I, I didn't know. But let me know. I want to do this. I but you need to need to let me in. And so at the end of the day, if if something is persisting in your relationship that you don't want and you haven't said anything about it. It is your fault that it continues to persist. Man, just as you were saying that example, it took me back to my last relationship. And I remember we were on this long drive this one day and my girlfriend at the time turns to me and says, do you need to pee? And I was like, nah. Mm. So anyway, so I just kept driving. About 30 minutes later, I look at her and she is furious. She is so angry. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, I told you I needed to pee and you didn't stop. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, what are you on about? That indirect method is sort of having to become aware of, <laughs> of, yeah, of understanding. I've had it. It's not intentional. My wife and I have had this exact same conversation. She'll ask me, hey, do you go to the bathroom? I'm like, no, I'm good. But I don't, I don't realize that she's asking for her. Like, and, <laughs> yeah. and men... When we're around other men, we don't do that. It's like it's not like, hey, hey, uh, hey, Bill, want to go grab a beer? It's like yes or no. It's and if you say no, it's like we know. Like I don't want to grab a beer. Okay, cool. But it's not like I'm thinking, oh, oh, Bill, you want to? Let me go grab a beer, Bill. Like it's not. It's not how we operate. So when women do that to us, they don't realize we don't communicate like them. But here's the worst part: is they think that because we're not doing that thing 
they're putting us in a realm as if we communicate like they do. Therefore, they're putting the same, um, I guess, the same outcome or same thought process as they would have into our heads. And they're judging us and, and you know, getting mad at us based on that thought process we're not having. It's a weird thing. And I get it because I, I, my wife now, I had to train myself to get it. But ladies, uh, we, don't, we don't think that way. And then you can, you can be mad that we don't. But you also you can't be mad that uh, a zebra has stripes, like it's just it's star man. So nothing intentional. If you said, "Hey, I, I gotta go pee," we'll stop. We'll I'll stop in the middle of the road right now. But if you don't if you don't say that to me, no part of me thinks you have to pee. <laughs> man, this is gold. When we delve into your story, the title of your book is "A Life Forged by Fire." So, mm-hmm. and the more which we looked into it, the more it seems like at certain points throughout your life, you have come very close to the precipice at certain stages. You were adopted at an early age. You said that you were quite tormented as a child. You were in foster care for 11 years. Your NFL mm-hmm. career was cut relatively short. You didn't find your, fa- your biological father until you were 21. Then you come out mm-hmm. of you know, playing at the elite level and you delve into things like business, which brings, a, a, you know, obviously it brings, you know, some challenging. I think it's like 95% of businesses fail within the first year, five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I suppose this brings me this question and it's quite a dark one, but I think that you would be the, you know, really the perfect man to, to ask for this. The question would be, so uh, throughout all these difficulties which you faced, what would be the process or the strategy which you've used to overcome these hardest, these darkest moments in your life and you've somehow mm-hmm. managed to turn them into a positive because you've obviously accomplished such phenomenal things? Well, how did you do it? So, And this is just so you realize this is not something that I'll say that I knew in the moment by any means. I, I found this out later on while unpacking a lot of my life. And here's what it is. Uh, action ends suffering. In the moments, I've always had this thought where I don't like how this feels. That's how I even became a person like I am now to get out of the, the foster care stuff. Like I didn't like how this felt. What I got to do to change this? And I realized that uh, oddly just by doing things, if I, if I tried and did something else, my mind would have to go to that thing I'm trying. And so where your focus goes, energy flows. If I focus on something new, it takes me to a new place mentally and physiology, like physiology changes the psychology of my brain. If I'm trying this new thing, I can find joy in it. And what that is, is me taking an action. Now, here's what the problem is. When things happen negatively, all of us want to go curl into a ball and hide in our room and eat a bunch of ice cream and watch a bunch of Stranger Things on Netflix. We don't want to do anything. That's actually the time when we want to do the least emotionally, yet it's the time when we need to do the most physically. We need to get out of this place. And I call it the 95-5. 95% of the time in this moment, we're, we're spending time dwelling on this problem, thinking about it, stewing on it, just, just seething it, right? Maybe 5% of the time getting out of it, sending texts to our friends and having conversation. But really, we're just sitting with it. It just eats our soul. So I've always been a person that flips it on its head. Like, act like, it, like it's, I'm not going to die if I, don't, if I don't think about it right now. It's still there. I just, I just, I can't live in that space. So I flip it on its head. I said, but I'm going to spend 95% of my time doing something to get out of this hole, even though emotionally I have the least emotional desire to get out of the hole. There's no joy to start doing something, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to spend 5% of my time thinking about it. And I just do that. 
like it, it's almost like I, I sever the tie between the Anthony that wants to sit in the in the hole, and I make I, I have this other Anthony just make him do better work. And so my way to get out of that hole has been always to take some kind of action in the opposition, some kind of action to focus my my mind and my energy somewhere. And it pulls that Anthony out. It gets him out of that hole. A lot of the time it's taking action with other people too. Because when you don't have joy, kind of think of like joy as like this uh, meter. When my joy is down. It's hard to get the meter back up. But if I need to jump for my vehicle, what do I do? I go to another car and I get a jump. Boom. Car starts up. I get going again. You need to go find joy jumpers, which means find somebody else who has more joy than you have right now. And connect that wire and do something with them, and they'll pull that out. They'll they'll give you some of their joy to start your engine back up and get moving. It's unfathomable for for me to imagine what that's like, and and I could say with confidence that likely only one of those things that Joe mentioned could be enough of a reason to to push someone too far. So my question to you would be: throughout all of the suffering you've endured. What was the shining light at the time? What what gave you hope or the faith for a better tomorrow? I don't know, man. You know, I think that's one of the weird things. I'm a weirdo, bro. I'm a weirdo <laughs> when it gets down to it. And I don't I don't know if I've always had a definitive, like, here's what gave me hope. Because a lot of the time, there just was none. I think the logic for me was what was the driving force of like, well, I don't like this feeling. Let me get out of here. And it wasn't more of like a driven by a hope, more of a pushed by a pain. I think that was a lot of what my, my desire to do better was. And then what ended up happening was a realization. And you're asking what's the hope push? Because there was a piece of hope. Don't get me wrong. If I think there's no hope, I'm not going to work towards it. And this was the hope. I, I realized that early on, whenever I would do something and work hard to get out of a hole, when I'd have some success, it tasted better than I ever thought it would be. Like, you ever, like, make your own spaghetti? And, like, when somebody else makes it, like, it's cool. But when you slave over making the sauce, maybe you roll the noodles and make your noodles, like... Doesn't it just taste better? Like it just tastes, it tastes a little yeah, better because I yeah. made it. It tastes better than I thought. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start doing things. So in my life to this day, when I'm in a place where I want to create something, I realize that it's gonna taste way better than I ever ex- can think of it tasting, and it always has. Whenever like I, I meet a new level of like the relationship, where like I meet a new business goal, I'm like, I want that goal to be met, and I meet it. I get there, I'm like, dude, I never thought I would really feel this good. I want more of that. And so when I set these aspirational goals, it's never to like do something, you know, crazy that's going to, you know, just return one single thing. I know that when I get there along the journey, something else comes in that really is greater than I could have imagined. So when I was in those dark holes, the light was at this point was I'm going to go and achieve that. I'm going to get out of this place because I know I know in all my experience that I don't know what how great it's going to be. And I can't think of what it's going to do. But I know when I get there, it's going to be better than I ever thought. And it's never failed every time I've done something in my life. So that, if anything, it was the, the pushing from pain and the, the, the faith in knowing that when I get there, it's going to taste way sweeter than I can imagine. Wow. We love delving into impressive people that have achieved a lot like yourself. And we love delving into their reading habits. So I know obviously we mentioned the His Needs, Her Needs book. So mm-hmm. I just wonder, are there any other books, Anthony, which have impacted your life? Yeah, man. Some of the simple ones. So we have Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's been a really good one. Um, the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. It's a really good one. I'm trying to think. Like I'm, I'm a guy that likes to. Uh, like I don't like a lot of um, fiction. I like a lot of things that make you think. I'm looking at my my books right now. And I'm trying to think of what's another one. Oh, Victor Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning. That's a solid one. The guy was like in, in like an internment camp, and 
man, what it created. But yeah, power of habits is a good one. I think if I was to definitively give you one, I would say start with the seven habits, seven habits of highly effective people. That one was really good because it gave me a chance to kind of um, kind of look at my life through a filter of how I could adjust it, like little things that that talk to you and like little simple concepts that are like, oh, it's a really unique way of looking at something that's already going on in my life I didn't even grasp. Anthony, are there any societal rules or societal norms that you love to break? Hmm. I know ones that I hate that get I hate when people run stop signs. Oh, I want to pop their tires, bro. Oh, I hate how you not respect society. Me better stop at stop signs. Um, ones I love breaking. I, I don't like to be quiet in an elevator. I think oh. everybody sits quietly in the elevator. I you know, because there's like think about it. If I'm at if I went and traveled this crazy awesome hotel somewhere and I'm in a cool hotel, somebody else traveled there too, and it's typically a person who's probably pretty damn awesome. But we're going to sit in this elevator and not talk. I've had some cool conversations. met some awesome humans that you wouldn't even know do what they do in elevators because I'm like, how's your morning going? <laughs> I know you're not supposed to talk in an elevator, but I'm talking to you. So how's your day going? Oh, I'm going to this event. What's that event like? Oh, it's this, this. and Oh, it's cool. Where are you from? I'm from, I don't know, I'm from so-and-so. Like you just you have a cool conversation. I think every day we are in cars and in elevators and in doctor's offices passing up on some of the stories that will change your life. Because you can't have lived what they lived, which means you can't have got the lesson they have. And damn it, that lesson could be the weird like bridge you need to be able to like cross that damn river you've been trying to cross of, of the success you want. So I'm the guy that likes to talk to people because you never know what you're going to find in that conversation in an elevator in the middle of you know Atlantic City somewhere or something. The last question which I've got for you today, Anthony, is mm. let's imagine that hypothetically – Every person on the planet was tuned into the same frequency. And you could offer a short but impactful message based on your life or your experiences. What would Anthony's message to the world be? Uh, if you can read my wrist, I got this little My Sorry. Intent bracelet. Own your shift. <laughs> yeah. So own your shift is a message. And, and this is one. Here's the truth, though. These are real things. Own your shift is the biggest message. Small thing. There's three words that all carry weight. The first one is own. Like own that if this is something going on in your life. Don't try to make it go to the side. Don't try to ignore it. It's going to keep festering. It'll be a stinky fish in your vents for life. Own that there's something to work on. Then your shift, which means that you are the one to work on this. If you smell it, if it sucks, you got to find the fish in the vent. It's your problem to deal with. It may not be your fault that you're here. It's your responsibility to work on it, and it'll eventually be your fault if you don't get out of there. I don't care if somebody fired you, if somebody left you, somebody cheated on you. Yeah, it sucks. It wasn't your fault. It's, however, your responsibility to build your life out of that hole. And then shift, which is the work. you got to actually shift and do the work because you can know that there's something going on. You can own it's your fault. You can also sit there and say, eh, but I don't want to deal with it. And guess what? What you don't focus on, like what, what problem you don't fix persists. The problem will persist if you don't find a way out of it. So shift. Do the work. Own your shift. Anthony, where can our Freedom Pact family connect with you? Yeah, man. Hey, find me at Instagram at Anthony Trucks. I'm playing with this TikTok thing, but I, I wouldn't go there just yet. I'm trying to figure out how that thing works. Um, outside of that, if somebody wants to know, there's two types of identities I've found in life. My work's an identity, and there's always two types, a slow or a go identity. And those two things create different types of lives. If you want to know which one you are, go to sloworgo.co. Man, I think this podcast has been, been outstanding. A definite, Fire! 
<laughs> I swear this has been one of our favorite favorite ones today. This has been this has been magnificent. Awesome. So man, you know, we just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Hey man, very welcome. Glad glad you guys got me. I'm seriously I'm happy. It, it gets to end my my Friday work week on a on a high note. 